Hello and welcome to the Irish Fire Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Halton. I'm an entrepreneur, investor, and financial independence enthusiast, sharing my financial freedom journey. Stay tuned and welcome aboard. I hope you are doing well. We're in for a little bit of a treat today. I recently had the privilege of talking to Stephen. Stephen is originally from Ireland, but he's spent the last several years living in Canada and many, many other places. Stephen is living a little bit of a dream life, and it's largely thanks to fire that he's been able to do that. Stephen, Stephen is in the hospitality industry, and as he's going to talk about in this interview, he talks about how he's able to work only a few months of the year whilst saving for fire and being able to travel for the other parts, and he has an amazing, amazing life when it's all put together. Stephen is on YouTube and Instagram, and I'll link to his channels in the show notes. It's well worth checking out just to see what he's doing and how he's putting this all together. Stephen also recently appeared on J.L. Collins' new book, so I'll link that in the show notes as well. But look, for now, let's jump over to the interview. So Stephen, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Do you mind making a quick introduction and I guess tell us about how your FIRE journey started? Um, So I think I started reading about FIRE and fire maybe it was i can't remember if it was the summer of 2018 or 19 and i think the first thing i came across was the book called the frugal woods and i, t- I thought it was incredible because i was always actually i should probably rewind a little bit on that i was always really good at saving money and uh, budgeting and only spending on what i actually wanted and needed now the thing is i there's never anything in life that I want that I don't buy for money reasons. I kind of, a lot of my hobbies are focused around hiking and the outdoors, traveling and stuff that doesn't actually cost too much. And um, before I moved to Canada, I uh, spent six years backpacking and I, you know, backpacking for me was very, very affordable and I traveled all over the world. And when I needed a little bit of money, I'd stop and work here and there. And I worked in New Zealand, um, in Norway, and I came back to Ireland a few times to work. And even though I have a degree in IT, I've worked a lot in bars and restaurants and the tipping industry was incredible. So let's say I finished university. I know I'm kind of rewinding a little on the story, but I'll, I'll get to where I'm going. I finished university in University of Limerick in 2006. I spent a year teaching there while working in the Shannon Shamrock in Bunratty. And the first few years, I realized that even in Ireland, which isn't a huge tipping society, I was making more money in the hotels than my friends who were starting their IT careers. Now, in Ireland, that won't work for the long run because your salary will go up as you get into your 30s and stuff. But in Norway and in North America, I definitely made a lot more money in um, the hotels, bars and restaurants than I would have sticking with IT. Now, I really like IT, but it was the Monday to Friday thing that threw me off. I love flexible hours. I love to be able to take a month or a few months off here and there. And that was kind of the lifestyle I liked. And so if you look at those six years of travels, I traveled all over the world. I did overland trips from Europe to Asia. I did bus trips from the States down to Argentina. And every time I worked, I actually added up all my hours in that six year period or six and a half year period one time and divided by 40 to get the average. And I only worked a year and seven months out of that 
six or six and a half year period. Now I knew nothing about fire or fire back then. I just I just knew I was good at saving and good at doing what I wanted to do. So going back to now where I discovered fire, it was probably that summer of 2018, I read the Frugal Woods book and that got me on to things like Go Curry Cracker, Mr. Money Mustache, Millennial Revolution. They were some of my favorites. The book, The Latte Factor, and eventually uh, your, your fire podcast, Michael. And, you know, I was looking at stuff that was focused on North America and Ireland. Actually, another one I didn't mention there was The Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins, because a lot of the American stuff is quite prevalent to the Canadian stuff. And the Irish ones that I loved were yours and Mrs. Moneyhacker. And Mrs. Moneyhacker was great because she's a Canadian that lived in Ireland and she's recently moved back to Canada as well. And I could see that from both sides. I'm originally Irish myself, but I now have a Canadian passport as well. So, you know, I started learning about it. And at the time, I didn't really know what to invest. I think 2018, weed and cannabis became legal in Canada and the stock started soaring. So while I didn't know much about it, I purchased loads of those. But as any person who doesn't know a lot about investing, lost a bit of money on it eventually. But as I read more and more, I found out about ETFs and the S&P 500 and stocks such as that. And I kind of used a lot of the information from the different fire bloggers and came up with my portfolio of about six different ETFs. One would follow the Canadian market. One would follow the American uh, REIT, which is a real estate investment trust, bonds, Europe, Asia, Far East ETF, and an emerging um, economies. And I broke down the percentage of the portfolio to my liking made it very tax efficient. Unfortunately, in Ireland, you know, in, in a lot of people have heard of TFSA in Canada or the ISA in, in England. And I don't think in Ireland we have something similar, but the TFSA and RRSP funds in Canada worked really well for me for tax efficiency. And I maxed those out. And I also had a bit of peer-to-peer lending that's more prevalent in Europe, such as Lending Loop or Mintos. And I, I, I played with that a little and I still have it, but I'm not like full on into it. And, you know, I just watched the portfolio grow. And funny enough, I took a bit of money out of mutual funds and a bit of investments in February 2020 to I had kind of everything studied, everything learned by February 2020. And it was one really cold day, minus 15. And I said, right, today's the day I'm getting the finances organized. And I stuck it all into the ETFs. And, you know, there's different debates over out there about dollar cost averaging versus doing your lump sum. Well, of course, in March 2020, a month later, that all sunk, but it worked for the best. And I, I knew from JL Collins's quotes and Christy Shen's quotes and all that, you know, it's time in the market is better than time in the market. And, you know, have no fear, we'll go back up. And of course, we all know that little dip in 2020 worked out and same with the 2022 dip. And I guess the S&P 500 just hit an all-time high a few days ago. Do you know what? This something always pretty satisfying when the share market hits an all-time high and you realize that you withstood the storm that was, for whatever the event was at the time, extremely panicking. And I remember 220 quite vividly. You know, it, it was a mad panic in the air and Every time the share market dips, we always think this time, for whatever reason, it's not going to recover. And certainly February 2022 was another scary time, obviously. But here we are again with a share market hitting a new high. And look, no doubt it will drop again and we'll be once again scared and saying, hmm, maybe this time it will be different. However, I'm all but certain that won't be the case. So it's definitely one of those things. It's a time to feel a little bit smug if we did hold and weather the storm. But at the same time, it's just more testament to the proof that comes from good long-term investing without fiddling 
with our numbers and our portfolio too much. All right, Stephen, I'm definitely interested to learn more about your lifestyle, particularly around being in the hospitality industry. So would you mind sharing a little bit of information about what that sort of lifestyle is and I guess how your lifestyle is structured around working in hospitality? You know, working in the hotel industry has been great. I've loved it all my life. I'm a very people person. I love talking to people, meeting people from all over the world. But where we are in BC, we stayed open during COVID and it was a little difficult. Uh, there was a lot of rules, which the rules are great and it kept the numbers very, very low. And I suppose I'm not going to go into a COVID conversation, but it worked very well for BC and we kept small numbers of tables, but a lot of the guests were quite difficult with adhering to the rules and the, jo the job became quite stressful. And I kind of needed a little break at that stage, but I still wanted to power through. I didn't want to give up when times were tough. I wanted to power through until things were good again. And the portfolio kept growing, the money kept growing. And I know a lot of people say the first 100K is the hardest to get. And after that, you kind of see it growing and growing. And that's kind of what happened. But I had a number of different things. You know, I want to factor in, you know, I, I read a lot about Flamingo Fire, Coast Fire, Barista Fire, and different technicalities of that. And I've, I've definitely learned most of that from, I think it was Money Flamingo and also you. And I'm not sure which way I would label my status because it's it's very adaptable. But I think I've got myself to a point right now where my current lifestyle, I, I can live my current lifestyle for the rest of my life on my investments. However, I do need to factor in kids, emergencies, a change of lifestyle, etc. So at the moment, I'm kind of working, I wouldn't say part-time, more casually. I pick up shifts here and there. I quit the full-time job in June of 2023 and I've been traveling. And I'll tell you a little about the 2023 travels in a few minutes, but I'll just finish the finance story first. But um, yeah, so I quit the job in 2023 and I'm working here and there, traveling quite a bit. And I think the beauty of it is now is that I've got a lot of different ideas of where this is going to take me. I don't want to touch the portfolio and the investments for now. I kind of want to just work enough to for my living expenses and potentially let the investments grow over the next five to 10 years. The, the plan is to not touch those, work enough, but I also love working in the service industry, but I also did like data analytics, spreadsheets. And I think I might actually look into that. I might even go back to work full time at some point and do something right to IT. But I'm also working on a YouTube channel at the moment. I want to teach people about this lifestyle. I want to teach them a mix of traveling the world, living on a budget, actually traveling on a budget as well, but also the finance side. And I don't necessarily need to go into too depth of the finance. It's more to give them an outline and then point them in the right direction to all the bloggers and podcasters out there who have probably explained it better than me. But I'll give them a little brief outline in those videos. So, and you know, maybe that will monetize eventually. It probably won't be much, but it's, it's something that's a hobby. And at the end of the day, those videos are going to be great for me to look back on even if it doesn't get monetized. So a few little plans. And I think that's one thing I learned a lot from you, Michael, was to be adaptable and to change your perspective. And, you know, maybe some days I'll work, work really, really hard for one or two or three months. And maybe sometimes I'll work one or two days a week here and there. And I'm taking that every day as it comes. When I got back from Ireland there in December, I went straight in and I worked all the days that were offered and everyone was burnt out from Christmas because it's a busy time to work and I worked and then obviously it's a tourist town people are coming from everywhere so everyone got a bit sick including myself and I'm like okay let's not take it on too hard I'll work a little bit but not too much and I'll take each day or each week as it comes but I'll still enjoy my freedom and I think that's probably something you maybe wanted to ask me a little about 
with regards of, you know, we, we, when the opportunities are there, we all want to take on too much. And at different stages of our life, we probably need to evaluate that a little differently. You know, if, if we're in debt or we don't have a lot of money, maybe we do need to take that work on. But we're in, when we're in a position like me and you, and when we have what JL Collins is, calls the FU money, maybe we need to enjoy the lifestyle a bit more. But I'll tell you, one of the main things that made me quit the job in 2023 was, I forget which blog or podcast it was. I think it was a few different ones, but it was some little survey where someone talked about the percentage of time you spend with your parents over your lifetime, or you as a parent spends with your kids. And it was roughly something like, if you add up all the hours and you know the average lifestyle of going, moving out of home at 18, going to college, you know, get, going off, getting a job, moving away, and then maybe seeing your parents at holidays, weekends, etc. Someone said that maybe 93% of the time you see your parents is between the age of zero and 18. And after that, only 7% of the time. And I'm like, well, where we live in Canada, we're a town full of people who've come from everywhere. It's a ski town. Most people don't have their families and parents there. And we do get a lot of time off to travel, but we still want to travel. We don't want it all to be at home. So I was like, well, I have this opportunity where I no longer need to work full time. And besides money, or not even besides money, the, one of the most important things in life is friends and family and parents. So I said, I'm going to take this opportunity this year. Everyone's healthy. I don't want to be going home when my parents are in their 80s just to take care of them there then. I want to spend time with them now when they're fit and healthy and see my friends when when they're at a good age and uh, sisters, kids, etc. So I, I took a lot of opportunity this year to spend that time with the family and then traveled in between. And I took my mom on a road trip through the Rockies and we went to Madrid together. I spent a lot of time in Ireland and it was really, really good to have that time and to remember it and not to be remembering it as a time when someone was you know sick or injured or, or needing me, but just, you know, there's probably a time in most people's lives when your parents and you are at that similar age, maybe 30s and 60s or 40s and 60s where you're kind of on a similar level you know health wise and fitness wise and stuff so that was one key thing i took away from this year yeah look you've covered a lot there Stephen, and i'm definitely a little envious of your time that you've had with your parents my parents recently retired and they're living in new zealand it's a long way from ireland to new zealand and it's very expensive for us to go and see them as a family now of five so there's a little bit of expectation and pressure on them to come to us but they're also at an age where they're finding that trip a lot harder. So it is difficult for us to find time. And I think in the next year or two, we're going to have to find some sort of compromise to make that work. And I'm a little bit envious because you were able to do that. And obviously not having children at, at the moment in your age, it, it's a lot easier for you to, to make that happen. I'm definitely keen to ask you a little bit more about your plans with children and how that might change for your planning around your FI number and so on. But I also want to comment on the adaptability aspect. You know, you're not the first person to comment on the fact that my fire journey has been quite adaptable and I've been willing to make changes as I go. Truth be told, it's actually not on purpose. My mind is always racing with two different ideas and I get caught between conflicting FI paths, if you like, where I could go down path A or path B. I actually recently got headhunted on LinkedIn for one of the big IT companies, a well-known IT company, household name. And even though I'm fairly happy in my current contract, I couldn't help but decide to at least interview and just see what that opportunity might be like. And in the end, I got through the four interviews fairly quickly. And before I knew it, I was being offered a substantial increase from my current role. And it was very, very tempting 
to take that. But for the first time in my fire journey, I actually turned it down. And it was quite telling because it was the first time that I hadn't gone and taken the next big career progression. And I've talked about it on the podcast before, but in many cases, I actually feel like I'm in my 60s, at least on a career point of view, where I'm not chasing the next big career progression. If anything, I'm looking to take something that's going to be a little bit easier and cruisier. And it sounds to me like you're very much in that situation as well. But the strange thing is, it doesn't mean that we're immune to taking on new opportunities. There's lots of reasons for doing something beside the money. And you've alluded to that already by the fact that you might have some interest in taking an IT job. And I think in many ways, in a post-COVID world, the entire work dynamic is changed. Sam from Financial Samurai wrote an article about a year ago talking about how these days there really isn't any need to follow the traditional full-time fire path because we all can find flexibility and adaptability in our own lives. I look at one of my typical weeks and I often start work early when the kids are still asleep. I might do an hour's work actually in bed on my laptop. And then we get up and get the kids ready for school. I do the school run with the kids. I come back. I have some breakfast. I start work again. I might then take an hour or more off during lunchtime to spend time with my wife for a little bit. And then do the school run in the afternoons. Try and finish up early, around 4 o'clock ideally. And then maybe kick back and do another hour's work in the evening time. So my lifestyle, even though I'm working full time, is definitely nothing like the traditional 9 to 5 that we would have seen say before COVID. But yeah, look, being adaptable is kind of all part of the fire movement. It's always nice to think that we can find some sort of box that we all fit into. But the reality is, is that most of us are going to find that our fire journeys are a mix of all the various fire alternatives mixed into their own special type. And even in my own case, I look at what I did in 2022 and working extremely hard and then cutting back now to I guess a more sustainable working pattern. It's not to say that I'm not going to try and boost it again eventually or calm down at other stages. It really comes down to the opportunities that are going to come along over the next couple of years. And I think if you can find a reason for doing something that's not just solely for the money, that that's really, really important. And as difficult as it was for me to turn down that opportunity to go back into working for a big tech company, I was also well aware that they were going to want to take their pound of flesh one way or another. And it was probably an opportunity I would have definitely jumped on two years ago, but it just wasn't the right time for that sort of opportunity right now. But look, we're here to, I guess, learn more about your own journey, Stephen. And I'm really excited by what you've come up with and what you've managed to do. It sounds like you've built a substantial portfolio over the last number of years and you're now able to live life 100% on your own terms. Obviously, children are a factor, and it sounds like you definitely would love to have kids one day. So, I mean, I guess, how do you see you being able to adapt to having children one day? And does that change the numbers for you from an FI point of view? One thing I look at is my lifestyle will change with kids. You know, I do socialize a lot. I go out to bars and restaurants. I don't care to eat out a lot. But, you know, because I'm traveling, I tend to have to eat out a lot sometimes. And this sounds crazy, like 
going out in Whistler, it's a social aspect. I'm not going out to get drunk, but beers are expensive. I don't tend to drink cocktails or spirits, but sometimes my drinking costs are anywhere between four and a half to $5,000 a year, which is a lot. But with kids, I'm not going to be going out that much, you know? Um, eating out costs would be about two and a half thousand dollars a year. Definitely would bring kids to eat out every now and then, but it wouldn't be as regular as I do nowadays. So there's a lot of my costs that would drop with kids. Um, I took a, a lot of flights last year. I think something like 17 flights. The first nine or 10 of them were very, very cheap, just about 1300. I should say when I'm talking dollars, I'm talking Canadian dollars. So I'll put it in euros to make it easier, about 900 euros. But I had two very expensive ones at the end of the year, coming from Brazil to Ireland for Christmas and then going from Ireland to Vancouver after Christmas. But with kids, I definitely want to bring them traveling. And I, I know people who bring their kids on these Ryanair getaways all over Europe, get an Airbnb, get a rental car, and it's super, super affordable. And these kids get to see the world, get to see a lot of Europe. Um, I would imagine from a, looking at people who travel with kids, I would be doing less trips, but overall the trips would be a bit lengthier if, if I'm not working. So it would be more for, affordable. And I also look at Mrs. Money Hacker's expenses when she goes to Portugal with her kids. And that's probably a very good question I have for you because me and you are the same age. We have a similar background, but you have the kids and you and many other bloggers and podcasters do. So I'm kind of curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, I, look, I appreciate the question. I'm, I'm honored to get to answer it, actually, because I think there's this perception that the day you have your first child, suddenly your expenses are going to suddenly rapidly increase. But truth be told, a baby has very little needs. So once there's an initial outlay of some of the equipment that you need, it's not like your cost is suddenly going to one day rapidly increase and you're going to notice it overnight. You're actually not going to notice it pretty much at all. And I think you alluded to it already, Stephen, that if you're spending quite a chunk of money on entertainment, either going out to a pub drinking or going out to a restaurant, you're simply not going to be doing that that often when you have children. So that cost is going to decrease and whilst your other costs will increase, it'll pretty much cancel it out. So children are very much a slow transition into expenses. Back in 2022, I actually did quite a lot of analysis to work out what our three children were costing us. And interestingly, when I did a budget of covering our expenses for three children, our budget was around 42,000 euros a year in expenses. And when I factored that in what I called a shadow budget for just my wife and I, it was coming in at 33,500 euros per year. So less than 10,000 euros in the difference. And keep in mind that we have three children. If I look at our lives, we would only eat out once a year. I hardly ever go to the pub. That might be something that I only do two or three times a year now. And when it comes to travel, we have very little interest in traveling. Interestingly, like yourself, even before I had children, I love travel. In fact, the reason that I'm in Ireland today is because I was traveling through backpacking on a nine-month overseas experience and... I met my wife and got stuck on this little rock that we call Ireland. When our son was first born, I still had the travel bug. So we spent the first two years of his life traveling. I think we traveled to 12 or 13 countries with him to some very exotic parts of the world. In fact, I remember a story the day before my son turned two, we were flying back from Greece. We'd been in the Greek islands for a month and we were coming back the day before his second birthday. And the Erlingus attendant in Athens said something like, oh, you know it's your son's birthday tomorrow, he's turning two. And I said something like, yeah, why do you think we're traveling home today? And of course the reason was because once he turned two, he was going to be charged an adult fare. And when he's under two, you only paid an extra 20 euros for him to sit on your lap. And then interestingly with the travel aspect, as we had more children, we definitely stopped traveling. It just became too difficult. But we did go on what I'd consider a pretty big trip back in 2018. And we went to Croatia, Montenegro and Albania. 
I was excited to try and explore this notion of backpacking style holiday again, but this time bringing the kids. And as much as it was amazing to see what they learned and just how much they appreciated life, we were in Albania and the street kids would see our kids carrying these very cheap Samsung Galaxy tablets. You could just tell they were absolutely shocked to see kids with these devices. But truth be told, we were actually realized that we were putting our kids in fairly high danger actually. And some of those countries just aren't that safe to travel. And we kind of came back and said, no, no more of that. And the next time we went away, we went on a package holiday. But our kids are actually pretty happy just holidaying around Ireland. We do go away once a year to see my sister over in London, but we don't really have that much desire to do traveling. But it's also important to note that kids are only one part of a long life. And small children aren't that small for that long. They grow up so quickly. Our oldest is nearly 13. Our youngest is nearly seven. So the years do fly by. And for a lot of how I reflect on things, I have no desire at the moment to travel. I've seen 40 odd countries myself. So I'm not in a hurry to get back out there. And travel now would be very different to how it was when I was 20 and single. So I kind of understand that travel is very different when I do start doing it again, once my kids are older. For me, the big factor is, is that what you're spending now and how your life is, is going to be very different in a post-kids world. And it's not that one's going to be more expensive than the other. The life that you have as you know it now is going to be completely different when you have children. And it's not that one is better than the other. It's just that they are different. I would have no longing to go back to my previous life when I was single and traveling. And I'm very content with the life that I have. However, it's definitely not a case where it's one versus the other. It's more just a case that you move on to a different phase of your life. I know that this was talked about in the Die With Zero book in terms of you have these kind of chapters of your life. And at some point you will take the next logical chapter. But truth be told, if you can bring the skills that you've already acquired in terms of being able to be good with spending and good with saving and all of that sort of stuff, it's not really going to make a huge difference to your overall FI number, provided that you bring those skills with you. And truthfully, kids aren't going to make the difference your choice of a life partner is ultimately going to be the thing that makes the difference between if you can make fire work or if you can't. And furthermore, Stephen, and maybe this is probably the most valid point that I could make on this, is that when I traveled, I saved absolutely zero. Yet with three children, we've managed to have a savings rate of anywhere between 50 and 75%. So it's definitely proof of the pudding that whether you have children or you spend a life traveling, it doesn't really matter. What fundamentally matters is how you go about living that life. And I guess maybe the question back to you is, how have you been able to travel and save at the same time? Because I'm really curious to learn how you did that. Obviously, I failed, so I'm curious to hear how you've been able to pull that off. Um, I was very good at looking up cheap flights. I, I'm very good at Googling stuff. Even in university, I managed to find the best notes or information for exams to flights when traveling to resources in the ski industry. I, you know, people always, I just find information on, on the internet. And I actually, before I knew the power of social media, I set up a Facebook page called Out of the Box Traveler to give people recommendations on flights. And that got 3000 followers within a few weeks, but I didn't know back then that, that how to monetize it or how that would be good. So for me, like one of my best travel deals, I flew from Christchurch to Brisbane to Bali, hung out for, you know, a month in Indonesia. 
then flew up to Malaysia and Thailand, hung out in Thailand for a bit, then flew Malaysia to London and London to Shannon. So that whole trip home from New Zealand cost 275 euros, all those flights included. And, you know, I, I found the best deals, I booked them, but I had the freedom of time. And that's the thing is, you know, people on a set two-week holiday or three-week holiday don't have that freedom of time. They usually book stuff around weekends. I had the freedom to hang out. I loved hostels. As I said, I love eating out in Asia. I absolutely love the food. I love the street food. And, you know, I still went out and I had drinks and socialized. I took public transport. I did all the activities I wanted to do. There was literally in, I don't know, 15 years of travel, there was only one thing I skipped. I was taking buses from uh, United States to Argentina. And I knew once I got to Chile, things would be getting very expensive. And I did everything I wanted. But the first trip in Chile, we were out in the San Pedro de Atacama. And there was this tour going out into the desert to see the stars and see the moon. And it was 30 euros. Now, we had just spent 60 euros for three days across the desert in Bolivia through the salt flats with accommodation and food and four-wheel drive. And I knew that I'm going to have to start watching the money in Chile. However, I skipped that. But once actually we discovered how things were done in Chile and Argentina, which were expensive, I didn't skip anything else. That was, you know, I, I, I knew I'd have to start cutting back, but that was actually the only thing I cut back on because everything was manageable. Everything was doable. And, you know, if you want to spend 30 euros on a tour someday while traveling, maybe you cut back on drinking that night when you're younger and something. But you know, this was the earlier years. Looking at my travels this year, I was traveling um, with a girl I'm seeing. So we did a lot more Airbnbs and hotels. But I also did a few hostels throughout the year. I was in Morocco with some friends. And the funny thing about, you know, my friends used to always joke that I'm going to be that old guy at the hostel. And I did it quite a mix this year. But I think maybe the dynamic has changed. Most of the hostels I was in this year the average age group was my age group. It was 30s pushing into 40s. There was the odd 20-year-old here and there, but it was as if the 20-year-olds haven't discovered hostelworld.com. They've they've stuck to booking.com and Airbnb. And the odd 20-year-olds, they fit in with our group rather than it being the other way around. And this was, I think I did most of my hostels in Morocco. I did a few in Ireland this year. I was traveling in Ireland a bit. Where else? Spain, um, Nova Scotia as well. And it's funny. So maybe our age group, some of us after COVID still stick to the hostels. And I was in Thailand in October 2022 and it was you know Thailand is known as the place where people go traveling at you know 18 to 22 years old but the hostels were still a mix there was that a mix of the early 20s group and the 30s and everyone kind of mingled together as if we were all the same age and I kind of liked that you know and that's not to say that I'm sticking with hostels I'm sticking to a lot of Airbnbs because I like the ability to cook and make my own food and I think you know in the past a lot of my trips were overland trips I was as I said, en route from the States to Argentina, or as I did trains one time from Poland to Singapore via Russia and China. Whereas now I want to slow down a bit. I think, you know, I used to do maybe two nights in a place. Last year, one of my problems was I was mostly traveling with friends who have jobs. So we had a set, kind of a set schedule or we had to book stuff or we had deadlines. And I think this year I want to do less trips, but longer. I want more flexibility again, where I can spend a week in a place or three or four days and slowing down the travel makes it more affordable as well, because, you know, you can buy in food, you can check out the place, you can see what things are like. You don't have as much transport costs. So I think, does that answer the question a little? Yeah, it does. And look, you've definitely managed to work this travel stuff out and and look i do want to give some time towards the end of the interview to talk about out of the box traveler i suspect Stephen, you've probably made hundreds of friends during all this travel and i'm really curious to hear about their feedback on the fire movement i know for myself i kind of have two groups of friends i have friends that kind of know nothing about what i'm doing and certainly have no interest and when i have tried to bring it up with them 
it's almost led to an argument. And then I have, I guess, my newer friends, largely thanks to various fire meetups and the podcast itself and you know the Limerick FI WhatsApp group that we have that understand the fire concept and feel like it is actually possible to achieve, particularly in Ireland, for example. What's your take on this and how have you found that your friends have dealt with your aspirations to try and achieve fire? Very interesting you should ask that. I think the answer is going to surprise a lot of people. You know, because I did IT, I have a lot of friends in career style jobs. We're all hitting that 40, you know, give or take 40 years old. So people are kind of at the prime of their salaries. And it's friends that are in the career focused jobs with good money that don't believe it's possible. They look for the reasons why it won't work. They question They question why it won't work. And I don't think it's necessarily trying to, trying to prove me wrong. They just don't believe it will work. They have a certain lifestyle and I feel they question it a bit in the sense that they don't believe it will work and they're, they're looking for failure. I don't think it's jealousy and I don't think they believe they can do it themselves and I'm not sure what it is. Whereas the friends that believe it's possible are the friends that live a similar lifestyle to me. Um, people who live in ski resorts, people who work, will say the ski bum jobs, bars and restaurants, they've seen me do it and they know it's possible. Not that they want to do it themselves. A lot of them don't want to do it, but a lot of them are interested in learning. And when they question me, they're looking for ways to invest. They just want to, They don't necessarily maybe want to retire, but they want to know how to invest their money and how to make the money work for them and maybe how to make work optional but they all believe it's possible and i also a little curious if it's a little of maybe an irish versus a north american mindset keep in mind a lot of the people i work with in the ski resort are from all over the world from canada ireland england australia etc but in ireland property tends to be more popular and people are a little more scared of stocks even despite the fact that taxes are very high in stocks in ireland whereas in north america maybe people are a bit more easy going about the stocks so that's what i think is the difference with friends now i'll take another example into that i was just on this cruise as i said was a conference at sea of digital nomads a lot of people with their own businesses some people who every type of job you can imagine there was instagrammers and influencers there was it people business people accounting finance people there was people like me some some people who work in an office but want to learn how to become a digital nomad and there was all sorts of different classes on board but one thing i found was that every person no matter what their background was very open to this fire concept you know they knew they a lot of them had heard about it um they knew what the acronym was they knew a little bit about it and they didn't question why it would fail or why it wouldn't work if they had questions they were questioning what would work if that makes sense yeah it's it's really interesting isn't it and look i guess for anybody that travels like they always tend to have a more open mind I mean, I guess even when I traveled, I I got to think differently about the world and think bigger in many cases. And it sounds to me like that has been what you've discovered with travel and you've been able to meet people that have been able to change the way that you think about the world. And look, this is now a better time as any to give you a little bit of time to speak about what you're doing with Out of the Box Traveler and what you're doing with your YouTube and Instagram accounts. My idea with my YouTube, I've I have a lot of videos on my YouTube channel. A lot of them are old and bad quality from years ago, and they were for myself and my friends. There's a lot of finance channels out there, and there's a lot of travel channels out there. My idea is to kind of mix this, teach people about my travel lifestyle and how it's possible, but also show them a little bit about finance and investing. I don't necessarily want it to be Canadian or Irish centric. I kind of want to just 
give a brief description of the concepts and everything to it, but provide links to where you can find out more detail about it. But I also want to incorporate that with my travels and my budget travel. I want to show you these really cool Airbnbs and hotels that I stay in for nothing. Like in Thailand last year, I was in something with a pool on the beach for eight euros a night, I think it was. People just don't know this is possible. And especially in North America, people don't know how cheap it can be to travel when you're abroad because a lot of people book stuff on these international websites and don't book locally. My YouTube is out of the box traveler. That's traveler with one L the same with my Instagram page. I don't think I'm going to go on to all social networks because a lot of my friends want to get me on TikTok. But you know, there's a time with this. I'm doing it for fun and I'm doing it to educate friends. If it becomes monetized, it would be amazing. But at the same time, I want to teach my friends how they can live this lifestyle, how they can make work optional and travel. And a lot of it, I think I'll put in some stuff about different jobs you can get that aren't career focused. You know, for some people who are a bit younger, I'll show you how to get working in the ski industry and make a lot of money. Um, maybe I'll interview a f- few people. But at the moment, it's going to be focused around the basics of fire and a lot of my travel adventures. And my travel adventures vary from staying on beaches in Thailand to a few cruise ships lately, which my friends are shocked because I used to be like the rough backpacker staying in hostels, but it will also be around hiking and adventures in the outdoors. Um, So out of the box traveler on Instagram and on YouTube. Yeah, brilliant, Stephen. And look, I'll definitely link to the Instagram and YouTube account in the show notes. Well, look, Stephen, it has been so great to have you on the show today. Before you depart, is there anything else that you wanted to cover before we wrap up? As I said, I'm reading about Flamingo Fire, Coast Fire, Barista Fire. And I'm kind of looking, you know, and I understand the concepts very well. But because I'm kind of adapting, I'm kind of trying to label where I'm at because I'm not fully fire. You know, a lot of people have used the word retirement and I don't like to use retirement because, you know, people have a different definition of this. They think, oh, you're quitting your job and you're never going to work again. And then you get into conversation to explain what fire or financial independence is. And for some people, financial independence is you're 18 years old, you've moved off to university and you're able to pay for food and accommodation yourself, you know. And our meaning of financial independence is obviously very different to that. So I would like to say I'm semi semi fire, semi fire. But probably the way I'm looking at it is letting the portfolio grow and not touching it for the next whatever it is, five to seven years and to just make enough money for my living expenses and maybe put a bit in. And I think it's kind of a mix of is it a mix of coast fire or flamingo fire? Kind of something like that. I, I'm kind of curious your opinion on on how I would label it. <laughs> yeah, look, those labels are always funny things. And I'm pleased you mentioned this before we wrapped up, Stephen, because it's actually quite a, a nice little question to answer and truthfully your whole situation is is quite unique because it doesn't sound like you've ever gone through that full throttle i hate work i'm just doing this for fi period that i myself went through you've kind of built this wonderful life for yourself and done this in a fairly sustainable way throughout your fire journey but you're definitely over that hill And I've certainly found it myself in the last 12 months or so that you do get to around halfway through your fire journey in terms of hitting your fire number. And you start to realize there's all of these amazing options that you have. And if you actually do enjoy what you do for work, then the sky largely becomes the limit because it's no longer a question of if you are going to be financially independent one day. It is a question of when. So for me, you're very much in the semi-retired Phase. It is that flamingo fire slash coast fire phase where effectively your savings are now optional. Whether you add to your portfolio or not is now completely at your discretion. And I'm actually in exactly the same place. So for me, I like your description of being semi fire 
or semi-FI, where you're not fully there, you can't not work. However, you definitely have the option. And I think you somewhat alluded to it earlier, you probably could live off your portfolio if you had to. However, for your own quality of life, you don't necessarily want to have to do that. And interestingly, even in our family situation, we always budget things into these various categories and funds and so on, and we've been really strict in ourselves over the years. But we're actually now trying to spend more money. So I recently added to our categories of expenditure a YOLO fund, you only live once fund. And this covers some of the stupid things that we do buy in our lives. For example, my middle child recently turned 10 recently, and we asked him what sort of birthday party he wanted, and I was hoping that he was going to pick the soccer party, which would basically cost us around 50 quid to hire a soccer pitch and maybe have a barbecue back at our place. But no, instead he said he wanted to go bowling and have food at the soft play slash kids area place, and this was costing 20 quid a head. And I was like, oh my gosh, 10 kids at 200 euros? Four times the cost of going to soccer. But I actually forced myself to say, yep, okay, if that's what he wants, and we're going to give him a day that he's going to remember for his 10th birthday, then let's not worry about the money. And out came the YOLO fund. And it sounds like you're very much in that position where savings is now optional and spending is now also optional because you could cut back and be retired if you want to, but you choose not to, knowing that by being semi-retired, it gives you such a better quality of life that if you do want to go and spend some money stupidly just because you want to, that that's okay too, because you've made the sacrifices to date. You've worked hard and saved when you've needed to, that now it's okay to embrace a little if you want to. Stephen, It's been absolutely wonderful having you on the show today. And guys, if you do have any questions on this episode, drop me an email at michael at firepodcast.ie. But Stephen, thanks again. And look, let's definitely try and catch up in a year or two to see how things are getting on. 